You're listening to North Bay Christ the King's weekly sermon podcast. In this week's message, Pastor Eric Young wraps up the series with the difference between rightness and righteousness. So today we're going to take a break from uh, the book of Galatians that you guys have been studying for uh, quite a few weeks. And we're going to um, look at this idea of freedom in Christ uh, and what that means and how we interact with the world around us as true followers of Jesus um, as we live in a world that's pretty tumultuous a world that is shaped by overwhelming fear and and people uh, shape their fears by statements and words and there's wars all over the place uh, in different countries and in our country and in our relationships and our homes. And what do we do with that as followers of Jesus? So if you have your Bibles, you could turn to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to be cruising through the whole chapter But as you turn there, I want to uh, share with you a story about a, a kid I haven't talked about. That's my son, Isaac. Isaac is six, and he uh, started kindergarten this year. And uh, kindergarten uh, makes kids smart. Uh, kindergarten taught my kid how to read. I couldn't do that. Uh, kindergarten also exposed him to um, a lot of things that uh, he hadn't been exposed to, <laughs> uh, like germs. And now it's just been a whole school year of sickness in our house. And, uh, but it's also this idea of like what other kids think, other opinions, other perspectives, other viewpoints, different than his, different than ours. He's been exposed to things that we thought we were going to be able to protect him from. And then we realize, wait a second, is that helping him if we try and protect him from those things? And and I love the mornings that I get to take Isaac to school because it's usually me and him downstairs at our house uh, having coffee. He gets to have half a cup of coffee because mom's still asleep and we, it's our secret. And uh, <laughs> she always finds out every day and it's just, I get in trouble. And while he's eating breakfast and, and thinking about whatever he's thinking about, um, I usually have the news on. Uh, sometimes, not all the time. Because uh, I don't really follow a ton of news, but I have the news on, and, and I don't follow any sort of different news bias. I, I the, no matter what it is, where I see it, no matter what end of the spectrum it is, it all just sounds like the world's going to end. People are angry. Bad things are happening, and so I I choose to like tune into NPR because they're at least calm and subdued, <laughs> and it's not just like this frantic urgency. But uh, the other morning we had the news on and there was a report about uh, North Korea and their missile tests and these missiles that they were showing the graphic of the missiles being launched um, and how far the range on them was. And, and Isaac, thanks to kindergarten, started asking some very real questions. If your parents have like, kids that are over six, you know what I'm talking about. There's a point in time when the questions stop being why, 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 to being real. Have you been there? I'm looking at this section. Why am I asking you guys? Have you been there? <laughs> Sorry, you'll get there. And he starts asking me questions like, because he's smart, because of kindergarten. He says, Dad, what? Like, what, what happens if those missiles, can, can they reach us? 
what happens if those missiles hit America? I, my friend at school says that there's bombs that could blow up whole states. <laughs> but then he starts asking questions like, Dad, why would somebody want to do that? Daddy, do I have, do, that scares me. Guest speaker out of town, I'm making it heavy out of the gates. But this is the world we live in, right? These are the questions that, that not only our kids are asking, but at some point or another we ask, but as adults we can do the gymnastics and we can avoid and we can run and we can la, 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 out of sight, out of mind. And I was faced with an opportunity that, that I, I realized as I was preparing for this message. I thought back to that story and I said, my emotions in that moment were, were how we all respond to difficult questions and tensions and fears is fight or flight. I had the opportunity to flee the conversation, just dismiss it, just shove him out the door and say, don't worry about it, son. Or I could have just been defensive and made a definitive statement and just said, oh, we'll nuke, nuke them all, bud. Don't worry about it. Like, but I chose to like, embrace the awkward uncomfortableness of starting to walk my son through what that meant as, as a follower of Jesus. And how that, as sad as that is and as scary as that might be, that, that we have a hope that isn't built on anything in this world. We have a hope and a confidence that isn't built around anything um, that we can control, but on an eternity spent with a God, that no matter what happens in this world, we can live confidently in this life because of the work of Jesus that we just celebrated. And as we talked about that, I gave him some assurance and I talked to him about the hope that we have in Jesus. His disposition changed from being pretty evidently scared to, okay, Daddy, and then he responded with this, because God speaks to our, our wives and our kids. He says, Daddy, I'm not scared anymore, but that man that is wanting to shoot those missiles, can we pray for him that he might know how much Jesus loves him? Nowhere had that crossed my mind. At no point did I say, wait a second, there's a bigger story here. There's a bigger truth here. There's a bigger gospel here. But instead, I, I was focused on me and us in this, in this little moment. See, the question that we're going to be looking at is, how do followers of Jesus respond to the uncomfortable questions and growing tensions of living in a world that's overwhelmed by fear? How do we do it? What does it look like? as followers of Jesus. See, we live in a world that promotes rightness over righteousness. Have you seen it? This idea of, I have to be right. Even in the church, we've, we've made a name for ourselves in society as, as being right and making a stand and we're fighting for our rights. We fight for rightness over righteousness, and, and it's all from this fear-based place of self-preservation instead of 
self-sacrifice. See, we see if the church at times, this is our, I'm not saying this is us all the time, but there, there's this temptation and this risk in the world that's overwhelmed by fear to have faith built by words alone, but not on obedience to the word And when that's how our faith is built, we are quickly overwhelmed by fear. And we lose sight that we're overwhelmed by fear in a world that's already been overcome. So, the big idea for this morning is real faith speaks with obedience, not words. John talked about that last week, that in in the freedom we have in Christ, that freedom isn't only from the bondage of sin and death, but it's also freedom from the bondage of fear. It's freedom from the bondage of pride and rightness and selfishness. But we get to lean into the freedom that's found in Christ and Christ alone. And we get to live with hope. We get to endure pain and suffering and trial with joy. We get to love. And our obedience isn't just to to stop sinning. Our obedience is to every command of God, which is to love Him, to love others, to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. John is closing out a letter that he wrote to a group of Christians that were living in a society uh, that was actually a little bit more oppressive, um, to say the least, than our own. He's writing to a church of believers who were facing persecution and oppression and tyranny uh, in the government and Roman rule, and they were needing some encouragement. So he writes this whole letter first four chapters talk about what it looks like to love and be loved by a loving God. In chapter four, just before he says, there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out all fear. And he concludes the book by reassuring and giving a confident assurance to these people. Read with me in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know that we love God's children if we love God and obey his commands. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? He goes on in verse 14. He says, and we are confident. So he's used the word know a lot already. Now he's talking about confidence. And we are confident that he, talking about God, hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. 
He goes on, verse 18, he says, We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. Amen? We know that we are children of God, and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come, and that He has given us an understanding so that we can know the true God. Man, I could just stop preaching right there. Do we live out our faith? Do we live out our daily life? Do we represent Christ in this world of fear and uncertainty with such confidence? Not every day. Some days, sometimes. Are we obedient to God? In response to his grace. Not because it's our moral duty. See, we see a, a bit of a formula that goes that, that comes into play here, and it's the second idea I have for us today, and it's this. It's, we see this, this formula that obedience strengthens faith, which secures our hope and empowers love. So obedience, so obedience to God, not obedience to ourselves or, or the world's social, cultural standards or expectations, but obedience to God is what strengthens our faith. Because are we going to trust him enough and take the steps of faith necessary to obey him? Because what happens when we take those steps of obedience to God versus disobeying God because of comfort or self, what happens? We see that his promises are true. We see that his faithfulness is true. We see that his goodness is true. We see that his grace is sufficient. We see that he is present and that he truly will never leave us or forsake us. And as that secures our hope and our confidence that this God is true, that this God is who he says he is, what, what does that empower us to do? Love. Love. It doesn't empower us to defend him. It doesn't empower us to fight for our rightness. In fact, it empowers us to love people in such a way that we put aside our rightness in pursuit of his righteousness. Amen? John's writing to this church, and he's, he's writing from a personal place. He's writing uh, to them having experienced this truth with Jesus. He remembers Jesus' words to him in person that he records in the Gospel of John. He says this in John 16, 33. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, I have told you all this so that you might have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Don't be surprised by them. He says, but take heart because I've overcome the world. 
Man, if we would be the body of Christ, if we would embody and represent our Lord and Savior with such hope and confidence in a world overwhelmed by fear because we have relationship with the God who's overcome that world, the world might view us a little differently than they do right now. He finishes out and he says, and now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Man. Have you seen this be true, this idea that if, if we are obedient to God, like our faith actually starts to grow stronger. And then as our faith grows stronger, like we have, we actually start to live with some joy and like a spring in our step. Because when we watch the news and it's hopeless, we're sitting there watching it, knowing that we can be hopeful. And we start going, man, there's joy. And, and I want to live in this life with joy. I want to go around and share the goodness of this gospel with people. I want to share the freedom that I have in Jesus Christ with the world around me that is in bondage and needs to know the same freedom, the same joy, the same hope. See, when I stop trying to defend God, then I can begin learning what it means to depend on him. See, God doesn't need me to defend him. In relationships and in a world that is going to oppress and persecute and try and diminish and belittle and devalue not only our faith and our, our religion, but, but our relationship with an almighty God, that they're trying to intellectually understand and put in a, a box that we know he is beyond comprehension or compare. See, like, when I think about it, I, I think that I, I, you really can't depend on a God that's small enough for you to defend. We can't, or at least I don't want to. You can if you want to, but I don't want to try and depend on a God who is small enough for me to defend. See, in the God that we serve, the God who's overcome this world through his son Jesus, whose spirit lives and dwells within us and empowers us and equips us for every good work. He doesn't need us to defend him. What happens is when I start obeying God and as a response to his love, my faith grows stronger, which gives me hope. And that hope is actually what helps me overcome the fear and the very pride that keeps me from loving people the way that God has loved me, selflessly, sacrificially, unconditionally. If we back up a little bit, that's what's being encompassed in, in this opening couple verses. It says, if we love God and obey his commandments, that's how we know that we love God's children. It says this, Everyone, I'm just going to start at verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know, we know, we can have confident assurance 
that we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving him means keeping his commandments, which is really hard to do because they're a heavy burden. No. His commandments are not burdensome. He says, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, Jesus says to us. But for some reason, when we forget God and we leave him out of the equation or we've reduced him down to a God that is small enough for us to defend and we can't depend on him, we try shouldering and carrying all the burdens of this world on our shoulders alone. And we become overwhelmed and we don't respond in love. Our obedience to God isn't isn't marked by our defense of him. But what if the church overcame the fear? The fears that keep us from engaging the world in a loving way, that keeps us making these definitive one-sided statements and arguing. What if we held on to truth differently? What, what if we held on to truth in such a way where, where we weren't needing to, we had so much confidence and hope in the truth of the gospel that we didn't need to hold so tightly to being right all the time. And we could actually engage in conversations with people different than us than just making statements. What opportunities might that present? See, what if we overcame that fear in such a way that we started initiating conversations with people that we knew, thought, believed, acted, behaved, were different than us. Not as projects, but in obedience to God's command for us to love. That gets uncomfortable. We have to walk into things that that maybe we aren't sure about. We have to lay aside our comfort, our convenience, our rightness to actually stop and be present enough with people, let alone people that it's unnatural for us to be uh, around, to love them, to, to represent and embody the full expression of Christ and his love to them. The, the simplest way we can do that is through conversation. Like really, real conversation where we aren't just talking to to be heard, but we stop talking so that others feel heard. Here's here's something that's so true about this this act of obeying God when it's going to come, and it's going to be uncomfortable perhaps for a moment, but the momentary discomfort of obeying God is always better than the lasting pain of disobedience. I didn't have a slide for that, and I should have, because the momentary discomfort of obeying God is always better than the lasting pain of disobedience. Not only the lasting pain for ourselves, but the lasting pain of, of maybe that opportunity, whoever it was that God placed in our life on purpose for a reason, in that moment that we maybe miss the opportunity 
to share with them the love, the hope, the forgiveness, the grace, the joy that they were in need of. So what does it look like to to have a living conversation with God? Have our relationship with him be more of a conversation where where we're not just asking, um, but we're, we're listening to him and we're obedient to him. Well, it means we start to hold on to truth a little bit differently. We hold on to truth without fighting in the name of being right. We start being able to love people with views different than us and enough to engage in a meaningful conversation. Our obedience to love and righteousness strengthens our faith, and as our faith grows, our witness grows. Our witness to this world starts to grow, and people start to notice that there is something different. That what they thought at one point in time about the body of Christ, the church, Christianity, is different. It's different than they ever thought. It's different than what was portrayed in the media. It was different than what was portrayed by people who had been hurt by the church. Conversations cultivate relationships, but statements don't. And I, this is so pressing in this time that we live in, where the church has lost its voice. The people of God have lost their voice in the conversation because it's been reduced to making statements. But we have to embrace the momentary discomfort of obeying God. To engage and lean into conversations about race. That's been a real thing. I've had to talk with my friends of different races and have some of the most awkward, uncomfortable, like self reflecting conversations I've ever had. Saying, saying I need to understand a perspective I, I don't understand. Will you help me? I, I want to understand a, a, a conversation and, and a statement that's being made so I can have a conversation. This is about religion. We live in a world where we see religious uh, fanatics Invoking fear. And we act surprised by it. John already said, for we know that that the evil one is in control of this world, but take heart. You know where we see this most in the church? The division in the church isn't over doctrine. It isn't over theology. It isn't over uh, worship styles and preferences. It's between generations. Between millennials and everyone else. And I love that this church embodies a church where there is generational diversity here in the same room. And I pray and I hope that this is a community of faith where people are initiating conversations with one another. Because millennials 
have way more to learn than we think we do with, from everyone else. Everyone else, millennials, want to learn from you more than you think they do. They need you in their life. They need you in their corner. They need you empathizing and understanding that they live in a world where they're bombarded with more messages and information than you saw in your entire lifetime. But we don't have these conversations because they're uncomfortable. We don't know how to have them. And when God, by his sovereign grace, orchestrates the opportunity, we, we don't walk in obedience. We step away instead of stepping in. And we go back to what's comfortable, what's safe, what's known, and that's our rightness. And we sit. There's a lot that's going on in this idea of rightness versus righteousness. There's an author named Dallas Willard, and there's a quote from him that has been just changing my relationships in the last year. And he writes this, he says, being right is actually a hard burden to carry gracefully and humbly. One of the hardest things in the world is to be right and not hurt other people with it. So were you here right, put in truth, put in the gospel? We know it's true. We know it's right. We know if we have confidence, secure hope, but can our confidence be so secure in the hope of Christ that we can hold and cling to that rightness running from all sin, living free from fear, living free from bondage, yet walking in obedience in such a way that we can hold that rightness without hurting other people with it. We thought of it that way? Have we thought of following Jesus in this way? Colossians chapter 4 Verse five and six, Paul writes this. He says, live wisely. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Read that again. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Right response doesn't mean the right answer. The right response doesn't mean that you're just right for the sake of being right. The right response means you're responding in obedience to the love that you've received from a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love from your heavenly Father that you are going to respond in that love to the person in front of you. Is this how we view the gospel? Is this how we view the opportunity that we have in Christ?
he ends this letter. Verse 21, and I think kind of a humorous way. See, the whole letter had been encouragement, encouragement, hope, confidence, like exhortation. Go get them. It's like this pep talk. Go get them. Stand strong in the first. Faith. You got this. You can do it. He says in this, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Click. Hangs up the phone. What? I mean, that's the, the, the equivalent of him going, all that pep talk, and like you're talking on the phone with somebody, and you're just getting pumped up. They're getting you excited about taking over this already conquered world and what's going to happen. And it says, sleep with one eye open. Click. Maybe I just read it that way, but, but I can't infer tone here. But what's he really saying? It's almost like it, it, the culmination of this is he's like leaning in as their spiritual father. He's getting down at their love. He's like, hey, right here, little children, little children. Like, this is, this is important. Everything else you've read, everything else you've heard, it depends on this. Keep away. Some of your translations say, be on guard. Be alert, stay alert from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. That's not just the temptation of, of our flesh. That, that's our personal pride. That's any idol that we put in place of God in our heart. Because as soon as that happens... Our capacity to be obedient suffers. So this week, I'm curious, like, how will you hold on to the truth of the gospel this week differently? Where has rightness replaced righteousness in your life? What's taking God's place in our hearts that keep us from living and loving obediently? See, what I love about this quote, and as it translates to the truth of the gospel and our model and our example in Jesus Christ, it says, being right is actually a hard burden to carry gracefully and humbly. One of the hardest things in the world is to be right and not hurt other people with it. See, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first, seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. The New Living Translation says, and he will give you everything you need. See, when we seek his kingdom first, we understand that he's about establishing his kingdom, which is different than any kingdom this world has ever seen. Today's Palm Sunday, and I didn't reference it once, but today is the day that we think about Jesus riding in as this king, and the people are praising him, and they are ecstatically joyful. And there's this resounding praise that is coming from their lips and from their hearts and from their lives as they say, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means Savior, Rescuer. Man, if we lived lives every single day 
with hearts that were declaring Hosanna to our King from a place of humble, gracious confidence and hope. You see, Jesus never hurt people into his kingdom. As we were reminded today,